Grace, mercy, and peace, peace be multiplied unto you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 50, verses 1 through 15. The Mighty One, God the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. He shall call to the heavens from above, and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge, Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine in all its fullness. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. In the name of him who came once in humility and will come once more in glorious splendor, dear friends in Christ. Purchasing presents can be a bit frustrating and exasperating at times. I think you'll agree. Each December, people the world over start thinking about what they will to get their loved ones for Christmas. Children are usually pretty easy to please, but as the person you're shopping for gets older, can become a much more difficult task. Adults have jobs and a regular income, so in this world of instant gratification and free two-day shipping, if we want something, we can usually just go and get it. The husband will say, maybe we can get them a new Bluetooth speaker. And the wife will respond, no, they just got a new Bluetooth speaker. And in the end, it's a restaurant gift card for them once again. Buying gifts for normal people is difficult enough. Could you imagine having to get a present for the President of the United States or the CEO of a billion dollar company? It would be impossible. They surely already have everything they could ever want, materially speaking anyways. So what are we supposed to give this Christmas to the one who literally has everything, God? It may seem like an impossible task, But our Lord graciously informs us in our text for today exactly what he would like from you in this Advent season. In Psalm 50, we learn what to give the one who has everything. And it's a very simple list. Prayer, praise, and thanks. May the Spirit bless our Advent meditation today. In contrast to the quiet manger scene that we are used to considering during the Advent season, Our text this morning opens with quite the opposite setting. Verse 3 to 4 read, Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. 
a fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. He shall call to the heavens from above, and to the earth that he may judge his people. A frightening motif indeed. The psalmist Asaph is writing here concerning Christ's second advent on the last day, when the righteous judge will return and deliver to each one the just reward of their deeds. He will be the one to decide whether that person has offered to God is enough to earn his favor or not. So what does God desire? The people of Israel in the Old Testament were sure that their offerings and sacrifices were what he wanted. They were sure that by their outwardly righteous deeds and outwardly pious behavior, that God will deal kindly with them on the last day. But Jehovah makes it clear that this is not what he's looking for. He says, I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats, goats out of your folds. In verses 10 to 11, he makes it known that all the beasts of the field and of the forest, the birds of the mountains, and the cattle of a thousand hills, and every other created thing all belong to him. So what does God want then? What else do we have to offer him who possesses all things? We find the answer when we consider the Lord's two seemingly conflicted statements in verses 7 and 8. He says on the one hand, I will testify against you. And on the other hand, I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices of burnt offerings. You see, the problem with Israel's worship of Jehovah God was not that they offered, but the attitude behind the offer. Does that sound familiar? If not, let me ask you a question. What are you doing here today? Are you joining us for worship because you desire to hear the good news of sinners saved through Christ? Or because this is what you're used to and because this is what is expected of you? Why do you put your money in the offering plate? Is it because you desire to support the work of this congregation and want to do everything you can to help grow God's kingdom here on earth? Or because you'll feel bad when you don't? Are you grateful to hear the gospel preached in church each Sunday, but not so grateful that you'd be willing to tell others about how Christ came down from heaven out of love for us wicked, sinful people? God doesn't want you to not come to church, just as he said he wasn't going to rebuke Israel for their burnt offerings and sacrifices. He rebukes Israel, and he rebukes us for the attitude in which we are carrying out our service to him. He doesn't need you sitting there in the pew. He doesn't need your check in the collection plate. He doesn't even need you to go out and proclaim the gospel. God doesn't need you, but he wants you anyway. So what does the one who has everything want with you? Verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God wants your prayer. He wants you to come to him with a contrite heart and with trust that he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for all of us will also freely give you all things doesn't sound like much of a gift that we give God in prayer, does it? It's a lot more about what he gives to us. And yet, he tells us that this is pleasing to him. Psalm 51, 16, 17. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, 
a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. What God wants for Christmas and every day is that we come before him with the prayer of the tax collector standing in the back of the temple. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he is merciful in sending his son, Jesus, to be born in the stable in Bethlehem. God has delivered us from the day of trouble. The last day when God will judge every person who ever lived spells trouble for those who hope to stand on their own merits. But God has delivered all those who call on the name of Jesus from all condemnation. Literally, in Hebrew, God withdraws his wrath from us because it has already been poured out on Jesus as he hung on the cross for our sins. As a result of this forgiveness and salvation we have in Jesus, the one who has everything wants us to praise him. And when we truly grasp the scope and magnitude of exactly what God accomplished for us on Christmas and on Easter, this is not a hard thing to do. In fact, verse 15 describes it as automatic. Call upon me in day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Our monotonous robotic alleluias become shouts of sincere glorifying praise for God who became man for our sakes. When we sing glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, we can, we can really mean that as we consider all that the Father has done in creating and preserving us, all that the Son has done in redeeming us, and all that the Spirit has done in sanctifying us as God's special people. The same people which he speaks of in verse 5 of our text. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. By Jesus' sacrifice, we have been bound to God in this new covenant. We'll be gathered to God's right hand on the last day with all those he has called to inherit eternal life. And until that day arrives, we praise and glorify him in our lives. We do so when we use our gifts and talents in service to his gospel. We do so when we teach the doctrines of God in their truth and purity to our friends, our family, our children, and our neighbors. We do so when we put aside time in our busy holiday schedules to come, about, to come and learn about him and his word in our personal devotion. We do so when we invite others to come and hear about Christ and his redeeming work here at church. We do so when we use the means God has blessed us with to help provide for the needs of the church and its workers in our offering. None of these actions by themselves could be considered praise except that we do them in God's name and to his glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And finally, the one who has everything wants our thanks. Verse 14 of our text. Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. It's important that we don't mistake the vows spoken of here as some kind of transaction. All too often we run into the rhetoric of, look at all God has done for you, now it's your turn to do something for him. The vows that Israel took to remain faithful to the Lord and to worship him as the only true God. This is the vow we pay as well. 
not by doing our part, but by placing our trust in the Spirit to preserve His truth and His name among us. When this is accomplished, everything we do is done in thankfulness to our great God and Savior. Our thankfulness is not any one particular action, but an attitude that bleeds through into all of our actions. Living as one who has prayed to God for deliverance, been rescued, and now dwells safely and securely in his merciful grace. You may have figured out by now that this week's sermon theme is a little misleading. For a sermon that sounded like it's going to be about what we give God, we really spent a lot of time talking about what he gives us. And that's the whole point. What we offer God, our prayer, praise, and thanks, really are not much of an offering considering all that he has given us. And that's just the way God wants it. He doesn't need our money or possessions. He wants our love. He doesn't need our time or talents. He wants our devotion. He doesn't need to be repaid for his kindness. He wants us to joyfully thank him for the free gift of mercy and peace. And all this is only accomplished through the work of the Spirit to create faith in us which trusts his promises and places all our hopes in this life and the next on his pure goodness and love. There was once a little girl who asked, who asked what she wanted for Christmas. She looked around her room and said, Well, I have my Cabbage Patch doll and a new box of crayons. What else could I want? I have everything. Sounds like a silly thing to say. No one can have everything. That is, except God. And through him, you have gained all things as well. Peace in this life through Christ and the promise of his returning glory, when he will bring us to be with him forever. And what do we give God for Christmas? What do you give the one who has everything? He needs nothing, but he has asked three things, which, by faith from the Spirit, we gladly offer. Our prayer, our praise, and our thanks. May the joyful message of the Christ child move our thankful hearts to pray and praise without ceasing, just as the hymnist writes. O'er every foe victorious, he on his throne shall rest. From age to age more glorious, all blessings and all blessed. The tide of time shall never his covenant remove, his name shall stand forever. That name to us is love. In his name, Amen.